Hello? Hello? Everything all right? Did you want something? Um, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to come in and say thank you. Hiya. Have you seen Asha? She stopped answering her phone. Yeah, neither's Roy, apparently. Roy hasn't got a phone. She's probably just in lessons. Which reminds me, she probably put mine somewhere safe. Look, can I just explain? My dad said something about a rhubarb puff. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 183 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast that whether you like him or whether you hate him, you've got to admit that Hashem is the kind of guy who gets things done when things means homeless stew and done means well done. I'm Gavin. (laughs) And that's awful. (laughs) Is this going to be the new crushed rana thing? Baked stew? (laughs) Or cooked stew? stew. Broiled stew? Grilled stew? Pan fried? And garlic butter with some parmesan. Stu is kind of an unfortunate name for him now, isn't it? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. At least at least now there's a reason for his cough. Is there? <laughs> Smoke inhalation. Well, now. Was this a preemptive <laughs> cough or was this a predictive cough? Who knows? I'm in the lost territory here. <laughs> which quite happily goes coincides with my Invisible Billy series that I've inexplicably started on Twitter. <laughs> you i'm okay i've had a very stressful week at work you have you actually went back to work into the office for two days this week yes and it stressed me out so i can't imagine how it made you feel <laughs> it was you know there was certain things about it that was nice mm-hmm. like at this time of year when i drive to work my, my commute to work basically is 10 miles pretty much due north right and then 10 miles due east right so when i do the turn from north to east on the I-96. Mm-hmm. At the time that I'm travelling to work, the sun's just rising mm-hmm. and it's it's quite pretty. Yes. And I forgot about that. Yes. So that was quite nice. Aww. But my first day back on Monday, when I woke up, I was like, what time do I need to get up it to get into work? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember. Is 6.30 too early? Is 7 o'clock way too late? If I want to get into work for at eight o'clock so my first day I was like 10-15 minutes early because I had misjudged how long I spend in the shower and how long it takes me to drive to work mm-hmm. but, um, but it was nice because you got to sit and have a cup of coffee with me before you left I had a cup of coffee yeah and then rushed out the door yeah. I didn't do that on Friday when I was no. back and I just so I drank far yeah. too much coffee yesterday <laughs> you had the whole pot to yourself I had the whole pot to myself but it's kind of there's little bits of it that are strange you have to walk about with your mask on. If you're in a meeting room, you have to have your mask on. Some people just keep their masks on all, all day. day. Now and, you know how the kids feel. And then we're still doing video conferencing. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this situation where there's five people on this call. They're four, all in the building. Four people, four of them are, are sitting diagonally across from me, <laughs> across from me and next to me. And one of them's at home. Right. So I'm here in... All the people that are in the office, like at least two times, I'm, I'm hearing them speak 
Uh-huh. I'm hearing them through my headphones, and then I'm hearing them through other people's headphones <laughs> coming back to me. So it's <laughs> it's not without its challenges, but yeah. And then you have to have your temperature taken every day. Yeah, they've, they've just got this thing set up at the at the entrance that automatically takes it. And if you've got a fever, it makes a funny noise. There's nobody standing there taking your temperature. It beeps at you. Yeah, apparently. Mm. But and then you have to fill in an app. Yeah. Saying. My temperature is fine. No, saying, have you had a fever? Have you been in contact with people who have had COVID? Have you been travelling domestically or internationally? Questions like that. And if mm. you answer just no, everything that gives you a green that you just show your security when you go, and this is fascinating stuff, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Our neighbours all have COVID again. Excellent. We Gavin. We Gavin. We Gavin texted we Stelly. And I had a pat. I ha- I freaked out there for a second because I forgot I was looking at Stelly's phone and not my own phone, right. and thought it was you <laughs> texting me that you oh, had COVID. See, I'm like, when did you get tested for COVID? When you told me, I thought you thought that I was texting Stelly to tell her that I no. had COVID. I was like, why would I tell her before I told you? <laughs> I thought you were texting me. No. And they're like, no, oh, I wasn't wait, involved no. in any of this. No, this is Stelly's phone now. I know this because the screen is smashed to bits. Yeah, she had it for how long? <laughs> Less a than a week. Less than a week. Yeah. Could have predicted that. I don't think she'll lose it, but I think she'll break it again. I hope not. I hope that Owen Wilson case gets here soon. <laughs> wow, here's a full case, don't we? Wow. <laughs> it does actually, there is like a voice bubble. Next to his mouth, it says, wow. I'll tell you the funniest so. thing about going back to work, though, is when you remember late in the day that your phone case has your face on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, the talk of the street phone case. Right. That's their banner from Twitter and right. YouTube and stuff. Yeah. That's what's on my, my phone case. And I don't I don't see it and I don't remember it because I'm looking at the, the front right, of the phone. yeah. But as I'm holding up, there, you know, there's, there's people that I'm speaking to that can... Why is why is Gavin's face on Gavin's phone? Well, when you hold it up, your hand is covering your face. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it was weird for me too. The dog was very depressed when you left. Both mm-hmm. days. You know, typically he'll come around and, and whine, you know. Even even if you're in the house, he'll come he'll come up to me and whine and, mm-hmm. and talk and want pats. The two days you were gone, he just laid on the couch <laughs> and did not move the whole day just looked so depressed (laughs) that dog was so depressed the whole time and i think black and white is depressed that nick moved out again oh because he he's been kind of moping too the poor cat he's like where's my big warm human that i lay on Mm -hmm. all day (laughs) why is he gone so i've had to deal with depressed animals all week (laughs) yeah the dog from the other side of the house hears me stand up and put my shoes on mm-hmm. and then he gets very excited because yeah. that's time for him he, he to go he tears in. across the house mm-hmm. barking and wagging his tail mm-hmm. it's like oh good Mr Gavin's leaving the office <laughs> oh well oh well uh, fun and games yes shall we preamble my dear we yep. have a busy day today don't we yes please give us some of that domesticated calling news <laughs> I'll hit the right button first time this time A few weeks ago, we expressed uh, guns on quarry fatigue, especially in the wake of the death of cinematographer Helene Hutchins. 
on the set of Rust. This week, Nicola Thorpe, formerly of Coronation Street, revealed that she was once on a set where an actor lost an eye due to an accidental discharge of a gun. Oh, wow. She did not reveal which set, but hopefully it gives pause to any new gun stories on the street to remember that there are actors who know where the bodies are buried. Yeesh. Because <laughs> one, one would imagine, I mean, she was on the show for quite some time. Yeah, no file. Yeah. Anyway, stop putting guns in storylines. Please. So, uh, this is what confuses me about the Alec Baldwin story and, and others of that ilk. Yeah. Are they real guns? I always thought they would just be, like, they would be manufactured guns made to look like a real gun. I don't think anyone would bring a live real gun onto a set. The argument is, is that they use real guns because you can't imitate the heft of a real gun and oh, much so, like a cup of coffee. Right, yeah. And see, that's the thing. There are so many other things that, you know, are pretend and don't have the heft that they would in real life that I don't think anybody would really care and notice and have the movie ruined for them because of the heft of a gun. Mm. I mean, the guns used in House of Gucci isn't what ruined House of Gucci for me. <laughs> Oh. It was Jared Leto in a fat suit pretending <laughs> to be Mario. Uh, anyway. But, but you, you quickly digress. I quickly digress. Corey has confirmed its Christmas Day time slot. The show will air at 8.30 p.m. Christmas Eve and at 8 p.m. Christmas Day. Both days, the show will be preceded by Emmerdale. We'll also get Corey for Boxing Day, which is unusual, and New Year's Eve. And the Christmas shows the two Christmas shows, Christmas Day and Christmas Eve and the New Year's Eve show, I believe, can all be streamed before those days. From seven o'clock that morning. Yes. This isn't box setting. This isn't they're not releasing the Christmas week in advance. It's right. they're releasing that episode in advance. Which I think is a sensible thing to do. So on Christmas Day you Right. You know, people are busy. Yes. <laughs> if Corey's the one of the most important things in your life, you can you can watch it before you go and have your, your Christmas dinner with, people, with your friends and family who maybe don't watch Coronation Street. Or alone in a in a Chinese restaurant. Right, somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was New Hampshire, that one, wasn't it? Yeah, Pennsylvania was the, the truck, truck stop, stop. Yeah. which was the most depressing place I've ever been in my life. On Christmas Day, no on, less. On Christmas Day. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Green giant. giant. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, sad news. As it looks like Roy is not coming back to the show. Well. Due to things David Nielsen has said in interviews this week and speculation from many quarters that Roy may die off screen. Nielsen has said there are two exits in this for me. One for the character and one for David. Hopefully they won't coincide, and maybe they will, which is like the most cryptic sentence It's very cryptic. Ever. It's very it's ambiguous. Very he hasn't come out and said that he, I'm not coming back, but he hasn't come out and said that he will be back. Yeah. And, and not only that, nobody else has said anything. So right. It feels like it's, it's deliberately trying to stir up a little bit of intrigue and interest. And in You know, but he's also mentioned his age, you know, and, yeah. the, and the death of Norris. And how he's never going to be able to act with that actor again on right. Coronation Street because right. the character has died and yeah. 
lots of other things and make it sound like this this is it was a black cob more or less permanent it was a black cob and that's very portentous yes so absolutely you know and if he if he just feels like like he's done you know and then it's time to retire well good for him you know he needs to do what's right for him and not what's right for us absolutely although <laughs> i'd be a liar if i said that i wouldn't be devastated if yeah we've seen the last of Roy. and i kind of feel like it would be devastating for the show because let's remember who wins a lot of the awards here it's well Nielsen. it's not even just the awards it's the People, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Roy. Right, he's and most beloved. people love him, right? Yeah, and he has, you know, he's been there for, God, forever. Yeah, he's transformed as a character from the, the creepy loner to the, the kind of the fatherly figure of the mm-hmm. of the street and the moral compass of the street. Right. So, he's a but he's again a keystone to the show. As we not pointed, just from as we pointed out last week, it really kind of feels like Tony Monsley as as George is is kind of filling that void a little bit and yeah. may continue to fill that void because he is quirky. He is someone that everybody will know eventually, in one aspect or another. Keep it light, because everybody dies. Keep it light. <laughs> You know, and just has this very fatherly relationship with uh, with Sam and with, um, what's his name? Todd. Todd. I knew it started with a T. So, you know, who knows? It, it, it kind of feels like the show is subtly filling that void, but who knows? That's a big apron to fill. It is a very big apron to fill. And that, that's Corey News. That is Corey News. With extended chatter. Hmm. And our mailbag, which kind of crosses into uh, hindsight corner territory, so I'm, I'm going to hit this button anyway. Nice. Haven't been able to do this in a while. A bloop, 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 bloop. I think we've done this as hindsight corner before. This very much sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Friend of the podcast, John, wrote in to say, I think Roy must be using the same charity shop as Emily, so he's probably in Peru doing his, and now I'm going to need a run at this, Conquistador. Quiche. Door. Conquistador. Thank you. Yes. Handing out cheese and bacon pies. There is only one country in South America that speaks Portuguese, which is Brazil, although there are pockets of Portuguese speakers in Paraguay, Uruguay, and Venezuela. Oh, so it's both. Sorry, but I was jumping up and down at neither of you knowing that Don featuring Tony Orlando sang Tired Yellow Ribbon, which was a big <laughs> number one hit in the UK and the US. Also, no idea why you thought Tom Jones sang it. You sounded so convincing. <laughs> I started to doubt myself, so I had to check to prove that he didn't cover it. The song is about both prison and war, and it's about a soldier getting out of prison during the American Civil War. The writers need to get their act into gear. The writers of uh, Coronation Street, Street, not the song. The writers need to get their act into gear as there is so much stupidity in just about every storyline, which is making an ordeal to watch at the moment. Right, so it's not like an actual, like prisoner who who did a bad thing and was sent to prison it was a prisoner of war still a prisoner yeah but it's it's a little different because it's it's not somebody who like went out and murdered somebody it's not just somebody coming back from war either no it's somebody who went to war then was captured by the other side and put in a prisoner of war camp and then, it, and then I definitely have a memory of Tom Jones singing it but the only thing I could find on the internet about it was other people who have memories of Tom Jones singing it and looking for confirmation. Oh, so it's the Mandela effect. <laughs> I think it is a little bit. Yeah, it's like a, 
it's it's hilarious because the latest Mandela effect thing has been Ready Whip, and Steli herself on Thanksgiving when she took the can of Ready Whip out of the fridge, she's like, "Has there always not been an H on this?" And I was like, "Yes, there's always not been an H on <laughs> there's this. Always not been an H. It's always been W I P." And yet yeah. people insist that it used to be HIP. I think people are mixing Ready Whip and Cool Whip. I'm sure that's what they're doing. I'm sure. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Jackie for... Uh, the final donation to our UN World Food Programme little Woo-hoo! drive on uh, November. I sent off 60 bucks to them this month. Nice. Which will feed a kid for over three months. Jackie says, just got paid, had an absolutely amazing weekend with my new partner, so I'm just sharing the love. Thank you very much, Jackie. We really appreciate it. If you want to buy us next week's coffee, it's not you, Jackie, everyone else. If mm-hmm. you want to buy us next week's coffee, it will be going to our coffee for December. Yes. You can go to kofi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street and we'll be very appreciative, AKA, just like we are for Jackie. AKA buying Steli an electric guitar and Hamilton tickets for Christmas. No. <laughs> and? Either or. We can, we can swing it either or, I'm sure. <laughs> and now, this. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about a Star Wars reference. Is this that time that Mary had her hair up in cinnamon buns? That's right. This was David referring to the little gang of residents taking a stand against uh, Ray and his uh, skyscraper plans, calling them the Rebel Alliance. Oh, that's right. Which Roy noted was a A Star Star Wars Wars reference. reference. I was Gavin and you were wearing your Corrie t-shirt. Doesn't work at the factory, it said, which yes. we agreed was the perfect Christmas gift. Yes. Today I'm wearing my Labyrinth t-shirt. And I'm wearing my Paddington t-shirt. I think I have five t-shirts that I just wear in, <laughs> in rotation. LOL. Same girl. Same. <laughs> right. Girl. Girl. Same. same. I was due back at work in the office in April of 2021. <laughs> How well that worked out. You uplifted the neighbourhood by decorating the outside of her house for Christmas for the first time because usually we were away and we weren't going to be. It was a Michigan Christmas, y'all. It was a Michigan Christmas. You were just back from the drive-in to see Crudes 2. I loved that movie. A movie movie that drive-in cinema was invented for. Yes. A movie that I loved and it it didn't seem to get the, the love of other people quite so much. Last year, you know, it was all about soul and um, and that movie where Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are, are brother elves or gnomes or something. Remember that movie? Nope. <laughs> Not even a little bit. <clears throat> we got new phones for our Christmas and we're disappointed that the stuff that you get with new phones these days, i.e. you don't get a charger. Yeah. I still think that's... That's rubbish. robbery, isn't it? It is, it is. Honest to God. Damn you, Apple. Tim Apple, don't you have enough money? After 18 months of build-up and 8 months after she swung a wine bottle, Yasmin finally gets her day in court and finds herself up against a prosecuting barrister who might be D.S. Abney without the wig. Mm. Leanne wants Oliver's funeral to be a celebration of life. 
but an unexpected and unwanted guest threatens to permanently destroy her very fragile mood. Led by Abby, who possesses more in the way of detecting skills in the combined whole of the Weatherfield Constabulary, the residents begin to ask questions of the proposed development of a massive skyscraper on the street, while Ray has resorted to form in a hotel room, this time with trainee manager Faye. That was a year ago. A sheepish Johnny comes home from a night in the cells, intending to plead guilty to his part in the demise of Grant, the security guard. Shona may love to regret lending a supportive ear to an impressionable Simon, but at least she's getting an old iPod out of the deal. Sarah's drunken public recap of Carla's dalliance in the Knicker Factory office simultaneously troubles Peter, Adam and Carla. Daisy sets Jenny up on Tinder. Tim's dad borrows Pauline's pass for ten minutes. Craig could be a bit more supportive. Our moment of the week was Tim apologising for not believing Tim's mum who was his mum, but he believes her now. And our boring moment of the week was Flowers arriving at the florist a day early. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Another character that it seems is gone forever. Tim's mum. Now that now that she's selling her ser- her shares of uh Oh well, we shall get to that. But yeah, she off, was off off screen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. She's off off screen. Yes. She was on screen and then she went off screen. And now she's now off it feels off like screen. She's gone off off screen. Yeah. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is our last storyline. So our second storyline is Summer's Hot for Teacher. Ugh. I just... (laughs) Why? Why are we... Why? 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 Who? You know who. Mm. (laughs) It was a a week of B-sides, it felt, this week. Certainly Monday felt like it was a week of B-sides. All the storylines that we don't really care about kind of rose to the surface on Monday. Right. We care about Stu. The podcast main event begins with one of the most troubling sentences I've ever said. Daniel is in his boxer shorts having a chat with Daisy about that angry sex they had last night. (laughs) 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 They hear Paul coming up the stairs or rather feel the heat from his tan. Paul's been away on these holly bobs by the looks of things. Daisy hides and Daniel quickly gets him to go round the block. Paul is suspicious that Daisy is here, but Daniel calls her a self-obsessed clothes horse. And this satisfies Paul, although it seems to hurt the the hiding Daisy. Yes. Yeah, Paul says some rather rude things about Daisy as well, yeah. which saddens me. Daisy doesn't like that Daniel thinks that she's thick. He doesn't care. Sinead was thick as shite in the neck of the bottle too. Daisy compares him to C-3PO when she's more of a hand solo girl. He was shallow as fuck, says Daniel, who just can't help himself. No, he really can't. Once he gets going, he just cannot stop, can he? Uh, He's just continuously shooting himself in the foot. Just turn that tap off. Yeah. Just turn it off yeah, and you keep your mouth just shut. don't have to say anything. Stop talking. Daisy gets back to the pub, which doesn't go unnoticed by one Ashley Fruit Juice, the footballer from last week, who's in with James. Ashley and Daisy share a wee look, although Daisy's too flustered to put much effort into it. Ashley's patter is awful. It really is. He's telling tales of changing room hijinks and how he has a Tommy Hilfiger jacket with a massive collar on it. Daisy isn't impressed and says, get the drinks in, you prick. Is Tommy Hilfiger even still a thing? I think so. As are the United Colours of Benetton. I assume. <laughs> I know vintage United Colors of Benetton stuff goes for quite a pretty penny these days. Interesting. Yes. And so concludes the Etsy part of our <laughs> podcast. 
Jenny runs into Daniel outside Dev's. She can't help tell him about how famously Daisy's come to get on with Ashley Fruit Juice back in the Rovers. No hard feelings, says Daniel, and Jenny doesn't believe a word of it. Yeah, yeah, she starts to regret almost immediately that she has said anything. Right. And later, Ashley is boring Daisy stupid with the story of his season. No, 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 last season. Right. She tells him that she's involved with someone else just to shut him up, and Ashley thought they were clicking. Back at the flat, Paul is quizzing Daniel more about that morning. Daniel says there was nothing going on, and Paul tells him to go for it, whatever that is. Mm. Through the back of the rovers, Jenny is surprised to see that Daisy was bored of her tits with Ashley Fruit Juice. Jenny explains that Daniel has a face like a bulldog looking pish from a nettle when she told him about Ashley and Daisy is shocked. Then Jenny twigs that Daisy still has a thing for Daniel, but knows it's because of the house and her being a gold digger and all that sort of stuff. Right, yeah. That she's continually saying and then apologising for. Right, yeah. She is the really the worst stepmom ever, isn't she? <laughs> and all of this, obviously, is overheard by Daniel, who appears at the door because Sean said that he could go right through. Fuck you, Sean. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be in the scene to be annoying. <laughs> Daniel is shocked that Daisy even knew about that house thing, and so Daisy has to recap that she overheard months ago. They shout at each other a bit, and it's the kind of shouting at each other a bit that you expect them now to start winching the faces off each other. Yeah. But Daisy insists that her feelings were genuine. Daniel is a fucking asshole. They break up, even though they weren't going out. But they were. But they weren't, yeah. Yeah. On Wednesday, through the back of the rovers, Jenny apologises for airing her opinion about Daisy being a gold digger again, this time in front of Daniel. Daisy forgives her, and with a smashing hat, she heads off into town with plans for Ashley Fruit Juice this week. Yes, she needs to find a two-piece. Yeah, she's going to a spa. Going to a spa for the weekend. Summer is with Faye, who is cyber-stalking Daisy's Insta and is intrigued to learn that she's dating Ashley now. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say Summer is with <sighs> Faye? I keep on getting Faye and Amy mixed up. How? I don't know. <laughs> I never get Faye... I never mistake Faye for Amy. I'm constantly mistaking Amy for Faye. It doesn't make any sense. Let me run at that again. Please. Summer is with Faye. I did it again! <laughs> Summer it- is with Amy, who is cyber-stalking Daisy's Insta and is intrigued to learn that she's dating Ashley Fruit just now. Summer quickly scurries off to see Daniel for her Oxford interview prep thing, which is taking forever. Stupid. Taking a minute to compare her dungaree look to Daisy. Back at the flat, Summer has ditched her dungarees in favour of a lilac thing that's a bit too like what Daisy was wearing in her Insta photograph. Right, yeah. How did she How did she just happen to have a dress like that in her closet mm-hmm. that we've never seen her in before? After checking again, Summer takes a deep breath and pulls her belt in a notch or two. Oof. Here we go with that. Right, yeah. So is this going to turn from... A hot for teacher story to another yet another anorexia eating story d- disorder story. wait doesn't she already have an eating disorder no she has diabetes yes yes that we've forgotten about I, ha- I had to i had to sit and think okay what exactly is wrong with summer because there's got to be something wrong with summer uh-huh. as there has to be something wrong with all of these children joseph has an ingrown toenail <laughs> tyrone has corns <laughs> Someone has diabetes, and that's how I remember it. Right, but then um, Hope is a sociopath. Ruby is missing a kidney. Oh, remember when that was a thing? I enjoyed those days. 
Was that the summer? It feels like that was the summer. Max has ADHD yeah. and Sam doesn't talk. Excellent. Daniel and Summer meet in Nina's roles. He doesn't notice her outfit or her makeup or the fact that her belt has been taken in a notch or two. So Summer's answering Daniel's questions about her love of literature. Daniel thinks her answers are too down pat and advises that she answers more personally like she's on a first date. Right. Summer decides to chat to Daniel about Sinead and Daisy and he quickly moves the subject back to her interview. Right, because it's inappropriate. Right. Or even just inappropriate. No, Later, it's inappropriate. I was conscious that me saying that was really inviting you to do it again. Yes, and it, I did it is. Anyway. Later. Adam comes in ahead of a lunch appointment. Daniel admits that he had continued to see Daisy on the down low. But it's over now. She's getting pegged by a footballer. Adam thinks that he's dodged a bullet there. But Daniel says Daisy is the first woman he's felt anything for since Bethany. Sorry, sex cardigan. Poor Nikki and all those expensive sex cardigan hours. Summer is back at Amy's as Asha arrives. We learn that Asha and Nina haven't had their whole off of each other yet and they get down to planning the ice ball. But they have slept together mm-hmm. in the same bed. The ice ball, which sounds like a Christmas party or something. It's it's a dance. A dance. Yes. Like a folk like, like a school dance. Oh school dance, sorry. Yes. Summer is about to fuck off to tutor Max until she learns Daniel will be involved in the planning of the ice ball, so she decides to hang around for a bit. So eventually Max and Summer meet up. Max talks about his filmmaking and he has a rough cut of Billy's Soup Kitchen film. Thankfully we don't get to see it. Scintillating. Summer suggests that he films the ice ball and Max is only too happy to oblige. Yes. It's Awkward City at the Rovers when Daisy and Ashley Fruit Juice come in while Daniel is still there. He mocks their terms of endearment for each other and then tells Ashley that Daisy is tighter than a gnat's chuff, which is meant to be a bad thing. Tight in terms of her uh, spending money. Right. But there are so many other ways that tight can be. Yes. Yeah. The elasticity. Anyway, <laughs> so privately, <laughs> privately though, it's clear that Daisy isn't happy with the situation and Jenny is beginning to think that she'd be better off with Daniel, but it's too late. And Daisy and Ashley Fruit Juice go off for a fancy meal somewhere. Mm. On Friday at school, Max is being a twat with his camera, sticking it in Amy's face, announcing that his plans to film The Lame Ice Ball are on track. There's a bit of a three-way conversation between Summer, who is doing Shakespearean poetry homework, Daniel, who thinks that Shakespeare is interesting, and Max, who thinks this entire thing is lame as fuck. Yeah, Ma- he's got a very expensive camera now. That looks like one of those mirrorless jobs that I see so much about. Yeah, that's a really nice camera. I thought he was filming everything on his phone. No, but he has a proper... Yes, is this something that he's borrowed from school? Is this school property? Because it's really nice. Weatherfield's residence, this is where your council tax pounds are going. Right. Buying fancy Sony Alpha mirrorless cameras for the likes of Max to stick in Amy's face. (laughs) But not like that. (laughs) (laughs) Max and Amy eventually leave someone Daniel to it. She's keen to get his help on some love poems. But rather than show her the love poems, he decides to write them down. Because what could possibly go wrong right. with that? Daniel reads some of uh, Browning's love poetry and Summer comes in her pants a bit, or her dungarees. Amy comes in and leaves a burst inflatable snowman for Summer to take to Billy to fix as Daniel rushes off to another lesson, leaving Summer with all his handwritten love poetry that she pockets. 
later, Daniel returns to find Summer still in his classroom and he tries to remember the last time that he came into his classroom and she wasn't there. She claims that she was doing her poetry assignment while it was still fresh in her memory. Daniel tells her to fuck off and have some fun and he offers to give her and the snowman a ride home. Right. Back in the street, Daniel drops Summer off and as they wave goodbye to each other and share a little bit of banter, we see that Max has been filming this exchange from the other side of the street mm. and it looks like he's rather worryingly putting two and two together here and yes. coming up with a big old five. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. I hate this. <sighs> which, which part of it? <laughs> All of it. The, the, the Daniel and Daisy bit? No, you like that bit. Yeah, I like Daniel and Daisy together, and I hate that they're apart, and I hate that you know he keeps doing this whole back and forth. They they make up, and then they fight again, and then they make up, and then they fight again. I think this is them trying to sell us as a tempestuous relationship. And then, you know, Daisy goes off with boring Ashley, who who by any measure is boring, right? By any measure, right? No chart whatsoever. No. And that's I mean, unfortunate. I mean, even James, who is also a footballer, Got made his excuses his in life, yeah. right? Yeah. It doesn't even look very much like a footballer. It looks like it. No, I'm going to say something. Uh, inappropriate. Not inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> no, inappropriate. But uh, uncharitable. Uncharitable. <laughs> what do you think about this uh, strange decision by Daniel to write down the love poetry examples? Because I think, here's what I think's happening. I mean, right? I think he's like just too busy to go and get the book off the shelf, or he may not have the book there on the shelf. So spend more time writing it down. Yeah, I would have yeah. just, I would have just, yeah. I would have just said to her, I would have written it on the board and had her write it herself in her own notebook. It, the, the whole thing is just odd. And did he write it down in his own scented notepaper? Because oh, here's what I think's happening. Somebody's Max, going to find this in Daniel's handwriting in Summer's notebook and he's going to lose his job and be labelled a pedophile. And that was my impression of Helen saying what I think. <laughs> Which I think was pretty accurate. Yeah, it's that, like that's exactly we share what I think. Brain. That's exactly what I think is going to happen. And I think Max is now gonna be starting the one. to build up evidence yeah. about this whole thing with yeah. his stupid camera. Right, because he's hot for Summer... Now. So I think he's going to be putting together his evidence in a package which is somehow going to be broadcast during the ice ball. Right. And Daniel's <laughs> really going to regret, you know, encouraging this, this boy to work on his art of filmmaking. Daniel is involved in the ice ball, so he's going to be there when this reveal happens, presumably. Yeah, I think this is where we're going with that. And I just, I hate it. I hate it because I hate this kind of storyline anyway. The whole hot for teacher thing. To serve with love. Well, no, because to serve with love was different. It was, it was about, it, it wasn't about sex. It just sounded like it was. Right. Yeah. The song, but you know, the movie is. A masterpiece of, of classic cinema. I think it's a good song as well. Especially when Susanna Hoff sings it. Well, you think everything Susanna Hoff does is good. Yes, I do. Anyway. <sighs> um, <laughs> is this how Summer gets out of going to Oxford? 
Because I don't think she's going to Oxford because I don't think we're losing the character. Maybe we are. I mean, I if, if Roy's gone, anyone can go. Right. I don't get the sense that we're losing Summer as a character. Right. I, what I'm getting the sense of, that something's going to happen that's going to fuck up her application and prevent her from going to Oxford. And I think this is it. Yeah. I... Mm, it just... Again, it just feels like this character has has grown into something that young Summer would have never grown into, you know? It's very hard to reconcile this with Summer 1.0 who shouted at Daniel to shut his fucking face. Yeah. 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 And, you know, new Max being this creepy sociopath kid. I mean, Max had his problems before. Yes, he did. Because he's always had ADHD, regardless he, he, of the face. He tried to tell him to Craig. Right. Who then just walked out the door. I'll see myself out. Yes. But, you know, over the years, it did genuinely seem like he, he loved David and Shona and was happy in his family and everything. So for it to all of a sudden just be him being creepy and evil. Yeah. The switch has definitely been flipped. Yeah. yeah. This, wasn't, this doesn't feel anywhere like it was a gradual thing. No. Although there was maybe, like you said pepperings throughout his history where you know he's he's not an interesting character if he doesn't have something something going on right yeah and i mean when you hit puberty you do kind of go a little nuts yeah you instantly become taller than david (laughs) that's what happened to me when i hit puberty i instantly became taller than david (laughs) then i just stopped yeah oh well oh well Shall we move on? Yes. Our next storyline this morning is So Fucking Disgrace. On Monday, Alad, otherwise known as the only quad on the street, is off for his <laughs> surgery. Finally! Bernie can't help but let slip that she has a surprise in store for them when they come back. This harkens back to something she said last week. Mm-hmm. Grace comes along and confirms that they're still on for the sofa exchange. This is a sofa that Aggie's going to buy for Grace, who was complaining about living in an unfurnished house or an uncomfortably furnished house, right, yeah. which made her want to go out on the randan more often. Right. Aggie was fool enough to fall for it. Bernie's working in Lena's roles, arranging delivery of the sofa with a mate. When Michael comes in, Bernie doesn't want to get involved, but thinks it's shocking how badly Aggie talks to Grace. You wouldn't talk to a dog like that, she mm-hmm. says. The sofa is being delivered by an elderly version of Shaggy <laughs> from Scooby-Doo. It turns out that he's... Yeah, not the, the other Shaggy. He's the mulled wine guy from another storyline, and he's bitching about Sally. Aggie comes out of the house and clocks the sofa, and then Chesney and Gemma get back. Apparently the surgery was a huge success, although it looks like they came back without Alad. Right? Yeah, they don't take Alad out of the car. No, they just... <laughs> they just talk about the fact that he cannot, he cannot be bathed for, yeah, like, a week. Can't get wet. So he's just sitting in the car for a week, <laughs> listening to things. On Wednesday... Or not listening to things. Ed and Aggie are bitching about Grace and how that sofa has ended up with Bernie next door. Michael comes down the stairs and berates the pair of them for their attitude towards Grace, echoing what Bernie had told them. Ed promises that they'll do better in the future. But Aggie storms round to Nina's roles to have it out with Bernie, who admits that all she had to go on is Grace shouting her mouth off at the Rovers the other night. Right, that she's never actually seen... Right. So now Aggie goes to Shaggy's stand and after a fashion gets the confirmation that she needs that Grace did indeed sell Bernie the sofa, which I felt like she already knew. 
So Aggie storms back to Nina's Rolls to have it out with Grace now, who claims that she needed the cash and what she does with her furniture has nothing to do with Aggie. What? She just bought that for you because you were complaining about how uncomfortable things are. I think she kind of has a right to be upset. I mean, Grace is right. She has a right to do with her stuff whatever she wants to. But Aggie has a right to be upset that something that she bought specifically for Grace because Grace says she needed it immediately got sold the same week. The same day as far as I can make out. Yeah. Ridiculous. Aggie says, fine. Until you sort your shit out, there'll be no more free babysitting. Grace is apoplectic with rage and arranges to meet Bernie for a drink later to vent taking Glory off to a babysitter. At home, Aggie explains to Ed about the sofa and the kibosh on babysitting duties and Ed is now furious that this means he doesn't get to see Glory. Ed thinks Grace has done everything they've asked of her and they should be treading carefully and Aggie reluctantly agrees. But, uh. but later we hear that Grace has been unable to secure the services of a babysitter after all and instead she's monitoring Glory on an app on her phone. Yeah. Grace continues to complain about Aggie and she has Bernie's sympathy until Aggie comes along to apologise for what she said earlier and Grace says that Glory is at a friend's house which arouses Bernie's suspicions and those suspicions are further tickled when she catches Grace checking on Glory on that app. Right, because Aggie says that she went to the house and knocked on the door and nobody Nobody answered. Nobody was there, right. Right, which is suspicious considering that she said that the babysitter was there. Bernie says that she would never leave her kids unattended. Am I supposed to just sit there while she sleeps, says Grace? Yes, Yes! says Bernie. And she orders Grace to get back to her baby. And Grace is so awful, she asks Bernie to keep quiet about this. Now, you just mentioned about Max and Summer. And I feel that Grace is another character that we can throw in there. That she... All right. When we first meet Grace, she is performing a ruse on Michael with regards to Tiana, right? She so wanted to have a baby and a happy family with Michael that she pretended that somebody else's baby was her baby because she wanted a baby so much. Yeah, and she was a kind of living au pair nanny type thing, right? Yes, yes. So woman who at one point loved babies so much she would pretend at least fond of a baby right she would pretend that another baby is her baby now acts like she hates babies she doesn't want to be around babies she doesn't understand why she has to sit there and watch a baby sleep is a danger to a baby and says she she never wanted this baby well she hasn't said that yet but but she's about to yeah yeah and i just All of this angers me so much because, yes, Grace was not a great person. She was... She had issues. Possibly mentally ill throughout all of this and everything. But I kind of feel like making her so awful now just kind of negates the whole, you know, racism storyline that she had. Oh, yeah, way back, yeah. Yeah. You know, and probably make some people watching who are horrified by how awful she is think, well, maybe she did steal those groceries. <laughs> because, right. you know, because she's a really awful person and a person capable of leaving their baby alone in the house is capable of anything. Uh, no. Just to go out drinking. And that that's the other thing that really bothers me is that 
and I talked about this last week, is that she's not going out to see her friends. And we know she has friends mm-hmm. because although, although quite arguably some of those friends may be friends with her other friends whose baby she kind of stole. So maybe they don't want to hang out with her anymore because she's right. a baby snatcher. But we but still, she's she says she she needs to go out, but then she goes out and she's just sitting drinking by herself. Yeah, or or talk to Bernie of all people. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just it really really bothers me this whole thing, you know, of making Grace kind of this evil person and saying oh well it's it's so hard to be a single mom and it makes me wonder is was a switch flipped exactly for her because michael Michael rejected rejected her her. exactly is that why all of a sudden she just can't be bothered with a baby i presume so but at that point as you rightly said she was she was keeping the baby right and that was a decision that she made as well so she had a, a, a decision to make around about that right she kept the baby she was happy to have Michael be involved right. in uh, Glory's upbringing. Right. She was living rent-free yes. with Michael and his family. Yes. Fair enough, okay, with Aggie, who you know yeah. you don't get on with. But no. in that situation, I felt that Aggie was more charitable to um, Grace than she's been when when Grace wasn't living with them. Right. So yes. it, was, it was a better situation, and it looked like they were starting to get on. Yeah. Grace makes this huge play for Michael, which she rejects. Yes, which was a mistake. Right, and she just but she waited makes, for it to happen argu- organically arguably, or whatever. Arguably, she makes this huge play after he sleeps with her. This well, this is true. You know, so she has been given the impression that Michael still cares about her romantically because Michael slept with her. But then she's got no fatal attraction. Yeah. And it's that, but I think I, I don't have a complaint at all about the acting of it because no. I think she's done a really good job of looking kind of deranged and, and, and unhinged yeah. and, and seeing reality in a very different way. Right. I think she's done a really good job of that. Right. But it's the the, the sudden change in character that I find right. really jarring, and it looks like they're just in a hurry to get rid of her. Yeah, it does feel that way, which is which it, again is unfortunate because. That's that's losing another, it's losing another person of color on the street, and we we, it's it's like when we lose our lesbians, you know, there's nothing to replace them. Right. Whereas if we lose an old white guy, as beloved as he is, there are still other old white guys to take his place. Yeah, but every time you lose a lesbian, I'm crushed. Yeah. So on Friday. <laughs> On Friday, uh, uh. at Nina's Rolls, Bernie opens up to Gemma about how Grace left Gloria and attended at home. Gemma thinks Aggie needs to know about this, yeah. but Bernie isn't a grass. Either you tell her or I will, says Gemma. Yeah. So Bernie Good goes, job, Gemma. So Bernie goes to speak with Aggie and tells her about her concerns with Glory. And then Grace turns up with Glory and dumps her on Michael for a few days. Mm-hmm. Michael rushes off to get some nappies, leaving Aggie to appear asking for a chat. Grace tells her to fuck off, but Aggie insinuates that she knows exactly who was babysitting Glory yesterday and inquires whether she wants Michael to know that too. So Aggie tells Grace it's obvious that she can't cope with being a mum and suggests that she has postnatal depression. Grace says that she just isn't cut out to be a mother and now that she's 
gone full-blown bitch again, she admits that she wishes Glory had never been born. If you care about her so much, she says, you can have her. For 20 grand, the kid is yours and you'll never see me again. Right. But and she also threatens to do a runner if they call social services. Yeah. But where is Glory at the right. moment? Right. Yeah. See, this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. I don't know if you were too asleep to, to not hear me last night when I was shouting at my iPad. <laughs> was that what that was? Yeah, I think you woke me up. About the fact that they have Glory. <laughs> she can't do a runner with that baby. She's with her dad. Right. She's. You have the baby. Call social services and get Grace's ass arrested right. for child endangerment. They will come right away for things like this. <laughs> You're not going to be put on a waiting list for something like this. They will send the police right now. Right. And she can't do a runner. Aggie and Ed are not stupid people. Why are they acting like stupid people? The next two scenes will do their best oh. to make you convinced that they are stupid people. Or at least... At least Ed. No, I think both of them actually uh, have to take some. Yeah, yeah, because Aggie doesn't... Back home, Ugh. Aggie wants to grass Grace up to the social services. Glory simply isn't safe. But Ed wants to give her the 20 grand. Then Michael comes downstairs to remind everyone that they are currently the ones who have Glory. Right. She's asleep so now upstairs. sleeping soundly upstairs. Right. No one seems to notice. Ed still wants to give Grace that cash. He thinks that they may need to get something in writing, to keep it right if it goes to court. Right. because And also to keep Grace from coming back time and time again asking for more money, which right. is the one smart thing that Aggie says. What's to stop her from coming back for more money? Right. Because this is all... Let's, let's remember, she's already blackmailed them for a house mm -hmm. and money to furnish the house and pay the bills and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... I don't think a document she saying we form. agreed to buy our grandchild is going to be much use in court. Well, it probably wouldn't say that. It would, it would say that she agreed to give custody over right. to them. Well, I feel like we've talked about this long enough. <sighs> so I'm quite happy to move on, unless you have anything else to say on the matter. Yeah, and it just it doesn't really resolved they're like what are we going to do well we have the baby in the house and she can't do a runner with the baby and she's going to be gone for a couple of days right let's not forget you can have social services waiting at the door for her when she comes back to grab her oh did they grab her well the cops would grab her they would grab her yeah little plastic grabbers no they would just tickle her i think wouldn't they you grab her shoulders and put her and hands in the cuffs and say, shame on you for leaving a baby alone in a house. I arrest you for baby stuff. Right. <laughs> Throw in the back and PC Tinker can take her away. Yeah, yeah, the whole CCTV thing. Well, I can see her. Yeah, but if something happened. I can look at CCTV from Red Square probably on a, on uh, a webcam somewhere. It doesn't mean to say that I can just leap into action and do something if I'm required well, to. And, and even like... Making it slightly more realistic and in relation to where Grace is and where the baby is, you know, there's a there's a river cam down by down by the river at the park over by Craftco where you can sit and watch the ducks and kids smoking marijuana. And the ducks <laughs> fucking each other. <laughs> That's something to complain about. Well it's 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 rape, but it's it is rape. It, it's, it's regardless, rape. regardless, it's duck ducks are awful. <laughs> but anyway, with their corkscrew, now just 
Never mind. Moving on. We can we can be sitting in the house and watching that. And let's say it's one of our kids in one of those cars smoking marijuana. By the time we got, by the time we saw it on the screen, got in the car and drove down to the river, they could be long gone. Or, you know, the police could have already gotten them and they're already in the, already across the street at the, at the police station slash fire station. <laughs> So why are you going into so much of the <laughs> civic workings of our small town when we could be moving on to the next storyline? Right, but yeah, but that's our point. Yeah, and it, I think it was obvious. Yeah, it makes more sense though than Red Square because that's that's just a socialist in me coming that's out. Just too far away. Yeah. Our next storyline this morning is dying to get married on Monday at Emma's. <laughs> she confirms that Curtis's specialist appointment is tomorrow. Curtis has oddly miffed that Emma was talking to the receptionist about their wedding, insisting that he wants it to be kept low-key and quiet, hardly worth bothering about. He's suspicious as fuck, but they agree to check out Super venues easy. together later. Barely an inconvenience. Don't get me started on that. Wow. So funny. That's just for you, Scriptocene. That's so funny. Who's, who's also into the pitch meetings. If you aren't into pitch meetings, just go into YouTube and watch maybe 20 or 30 of them back to back and then... Or watch some of other of Ryan George's other skits. Like I, don't, I don't find... The worst, you know, the worst I, timeline ones. I don't think it's as good. But mm. anyway. anyway. Wait, wait, wait. Wow. So, we said wow a lot on this show this week. <laughs> and none of that in reference to Coronation Street. Just impersonating other people. Curtis and Emma have set their sights as far as the bistro for a venue. Emma's dead excited, Curtis less so, but he's insisting that the numbers are kept low and there's probably just not enough to justify a larger venue. Right. Debbie suggests a rape hotel. <laughs> Curtis thinks that the bistro, his workplace, is fine. Is probably enough. Debbie's got eight hotels, she says. Mm-hmm. And yet the only one she recommends is the rape hotel. Right. Because Emma being hyper and Curtis being a downer is a thing. Maybe it's because it has so many power out uh, uh, power. Um, Five power outlets in the, every room. Yes. They go and see Amy and invite her to be a bridesmaid. Curtis tells everyone that his two best friends are abroad. They live in Canada. You wouldn't know them. And he doesn't get on with his family. <laughs> so he doesn't expect anyone on his side to come at the wedding. Amy is dead suspicious about this. Amy, Amy has got the mark of Curtis, I think, already. Amy is... The super detective on the street. Sure. Like I said. Back home, Emma she mentions... She's a van and a great dame. Emma mentions how they've both lost their dads and he should speak to his mum. But there's too much bad blood there. And what with his specialist bill, they really should be keeping this wedding as low rent as possible. So Emma goes to see Steve and tells him about the problem with Curtis's parents. She's had an idea though. Despite Curtis saying that he doesn't get on with his family, she's going to secretly start inviting them. Steve goes along with this harebrained plan. On Wednesday. Admittedly, it's not the most harebrained plan Emma has ever come up with. So I think Steve is just kind of used to it by That's now. That's a dreadful idea. At least, at least in this plan, her hand isn't going to get stuck in a vase. Right. For two episodes. <laughs> on, on Wednesday. Two episodes. <laughs> Emma has a wedding binder. Of course she does. She's wanting to get ready for Curtis's appointment. He's not sure that she needs to go with them because it might be bad news, but she insists she has a good feeling about this. And then Curtis finds a post-it note with his cousin's phone number on it. He's not chuffed that Emma has been in touch and told her about the wedding, but seems calmer when he finds out that the cousin hasn't replied yet. He maintains it wants nothing to do with his family. 
Then Aggie bumps into Emma in Nina's roles and learns that Curtis has dropped out of medical school, so she goes round to see him at the bistro, reckoning this decision was heart-related. Not emotion-heart-related, right. but and heart I'm really problem-related. Conf- and I'm really confused now because I thought that Curtis didn't want Aggie to know that he had a heart condition, so how did Aggie find out he had a heart condition? She thinks this should be a conversation to be having with his mentor. Curtis says that he doesn't get on with his mentor. He doesn't get on with anybody. Exactly. The NHS needs you, says Aggie. Fuck off, says Curtis. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> Essentially <laughs> say that. And he goes off to answer his phone. Without any hello, he tells the person to leave him alone. I'm very ill, he says. So at the private hospital, which looks a bit like the medical centre with a paint job, Curtis and Emma are waiting for his appointment. A receptionist comes over and to Emma tell him. Emma talks about how posh it looks inside this, this fancy private hospital. She seems uh, surprised as well that NHS doctors kind of work privately yeah, as well. Moonlight, yeah, Yeah. I think they get 80% of their pay for 20% of their work mm-hmm. by working yeah. privately on the side. So the receptionist comes over to tell him that the specialist that Curtis was due to see has been held up somewhere so he'll be seen by Dr Hanley instead and Curtis shits a brick. Curtis wants to leave but Emma stalls him until he's called and Curtis goes in to see Dr Hanley alone. And Dr. Hanley is in no mood for courtesy shit. Right, yes, yes. Uh, uh, the two of them have a history together. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> isn't that convenient that the specialist he was supposed to see can't be there today? So here's the specialist who already knows that Curtis is full of shit. Well, I think this is deliberate. I think Hanley's deliberately there to have this conversation do, with him again. Do, do you really think, Yana, uh, do you really think that... Medical doctors are that sneaky? Privately, probably. Because hmm. they've tried everything else. Right. They've been round the houses, seen somebody else that isn't going to make this in any different condition to, to what it was. Right. Anyway, that didn't, this didn't bother me. It's in shorthand. So the two of them have a history together and we learned that the scar that Curtis has is from a small hole in his heart operation that he had as a kid. And long story short, there's fuck all wrong with him. He's in A1 shape. The doctor thinks that That's he has... car looks newer than that. He has a factitious disorder and he wants to refer him to a psychologist. But Curtis is already out the door, spinning a story to Emma about him being really sick and some tests have been ordered, but his condition may be managed. And this gives Emma some hope. And at home, Emma and Curtis are talking weddings when Tyrone says that there's a bloke outside looking for Curtis. Curtis goes down to see who because it is. Tyrone still lives there. Right. Awkwardly. <laughs> Curtis goes down to see who it is. And it's a guy who, first of all, looks like he drinks too much coffee and then looks like he's Kev on his wedding day, <laughs> claiming to he, be Curtis's dad. He does look like he would be Curtis's dad, though. They have the same hair. Right. He's Curtis's can persistent I, caller. Can I just say, though, about the whole Tyrone thing, I do like Emma and Tyrone hanging out together. Like when Curtis leaves and Emma asks Tyrone if he knows anything about what flowers are in season this time of year. Right. And you just kind of like, and, and when they're on the couch together watching TV together, they do make good roommates. They are funny together. I think so. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that I got that out. Right. So. Back to the dad. Where did I get to? The dad looks like Kev. Kevin is wedding day. No, just Kev. <laughs> Kevin's wedding day. It is excellent casting, though. 
he's cuts his persistent collar and he's heard that there's going to be a wedding. What does Emma know about his health? And he threatens to speak direct to Emma until Curtis manages to talk him out of it and they arrange to have a meeting at the bistro instead. So at the bistro, Curtis's dad doesn't think it's right that Curtis is continuing his spiel about being ill. Curtis's dad is the same as the doctor, pretty much. She's sick of all this talk. Emma comes along and Curtis's dad introduces himself as Neville, Curtis's dad. Evil stepdad, says Curtis. <laughs> right, yeah, because Emma's quite startled. She's like, wait a second, I thought your dad was dead. Yeah, he's my evil stepdad, says Curtis quickly, because Emma believes Curtis's dad to be dead. Neville is so shocked, he heads off for a shite, right, while yeah. Emma blames herself for all this and then leaves them to it. And later in Nina's roles, Emma meets up with Sean and Beth, and Sean offers to make Emma's dress for her, much to Beth's surprise. Back at the bistro, Curtis is grateful to Neville for keeping his mouth shut, but Neville is only keeping quiet to give Curtis a chance to speak up for himself. Tell Emma the truth. She might understand. She might help. And boy, you need help. Mm-hmm. So on Friday at Emma's, she's talking to Curtis about her mood board. Curtis is still in the mood about Neville's appearance and claims that no one will be attending his wedding because they don't want to. Emma really wants his mum to be there, so he says that he'll talk to Neville about it later. Curtis and Neville are at the bistro again and Curtis lies and says that he told Emma the truth and she dumped him Neville tells him to come home with him we'll find proper therapy and Curtis tells him to GTF he's leaving town and he tells Neville to stay away in the rovers Curtis continues his lie to Emma about his mum's apathy towards him in the wedding Emma offers to speak to her about his health issues and Curtis bites his head off his mum will never find out anything about what's wrong with his health Oh, excuse me, a bit touch of windy pops there. Mm. Steve finds Curtis in the bistro. Curtis brings Steve up to speed, or at least his version of it. Curtis feels like he hasn't had a family until he met Emma and Steve. Aww. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm. So it's it is the marine m- biologist all over again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is just... Curtis is 2021's marine biologist. Right. It's just... You know, as I said... I'm like, are you sure you're not out for revenge? Yeah, as I said... Are you sure, Curtis? As I said a few weeks ago, this... uh, Is fictitious disorder the same? Is it just another word for Munchausen's? I've never heard of fictitious disorder. Is is it... Well, I think think its root comes from fiction. Right, yes. (laughs) Right, yeah. But it doesn't sound... Is that a... (laughs) It's just... If only there was a way to find out. It's just, this This is, it seems like... Well, we don't both need to do it. I know, I know. In fact, it would be good if one of us is talking. It, it seems like, you know, as I said a few a few weeks ago, this isn't how mental disorders work. This is, because he seems to be self-aware that there's really nothing wrong with him. He seems to know that in the way that he lies to other people. If if he really if he really believed that he was sick and the doctor said that he wasn't sick, what he would say to Emma is not, "Oh, yes, it's really bad and they they're going to run some more tests." He would say, "This was all a waste of time. The Correct. doctors don't believe me well, exactly that I there's think. something wrong. Yeah. All doctors are stupid." you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, if the medical community of of Weatherfield knew that Curtis was full of shit, that time that he was admitted into the hospital 
and they said, we'd like to keep you in for a little while to run some more tests, they would not have said, we'd like to keep you in for a little while to run a few more tests. They would have said, all right, Curtis, enough is enough. Stop wasting the NHS's time during a pandemic and get the fuck out of here. Factitious disorder, factitious, not fictitious, factitious disorder is a serious mental disorder in which someone deceives others by appearing sick, by purposely getting sick, or by self-injury or self-injury if you prefer to say it that way factitious disorder can also happen when family members or caregivers falsely present others such as children as being ill, injured or impaired so it sounds very much like like Munchausen's and Munchausen's by proxy yeah which is when you you get your kids sick yeah but what you said there about uh, Curtis makes a decision to lie to Emma right and makes a conscious decision to lie he he didn't hear that from the doctor right so he's making a decision in his head right to lie to her right there seems which to is be... very different i agree than saying this doctor doesn't think there's anything wrong with me but he's wrong but he's wrong exactly yeah. there's or you know they, there's nothing they can do for me which is what the doctor says at first and you think oh you know terminal yeah but it's we can't do anything for you because there's nothing wrong with you and this is also troubling because there, there can be other things wrong with your body that present as something wrong with your heart. So just because there's nothing wrong with his heart doesn't mean that there's not necessarily something physically wrong with him. Because a lot of like gastrointestinal stuff, for example, can present as a heart attack or can present as... Because like your heart and your lungs and, and your stomach and everything, everything's kind of centralized, mm-hmm. you know... So, I don't know. This this whole thing just, like I said, it just feels like the marine biologist all over again. And, and it's it's not great. It isn't great. No. Anyway, let's move on then to Kelly's painfully long redemption storyline. <laughs> on Monday, Nina is on the phone to South America looking for Roy. Hi, Hello, South America. South America. Is Roy there, please? Is Roy there in South America, please? Hello, He's got an South America. On. He has an anorak. Okay, I'll, I'll call back. Thank you. Thank you, South America. Kelly comes in to thank Nina, but then Amy comes in for a rhubarb puff and to give Kelly a hard time about the phone theft thing. The rhubarb puffs are very popular this week. Yes, Kelly can explain. Well, go on then. Then Maria's at the furniture thing complaining to Gary about Sally from a different storyline when in comes Kelly looking for a present for a mate. She says she'll come back later and Maria warns Gary not to get involved. I'm already involved, says Gary. Yes. And in a rolls, Gary and Maria have treated Kelly to a slap-up meal, a horse brass that she had her eyes on earlier, and Maria even offers her a job at the barbers. All just like that. Just like that. Just illustrating that her issues could have been solved. So very quickly. So very quickly earlier. That once again, she's a person who has a number of people looking out for her Mm -hmm. and wanting the best for her, even though she was a kind of a horrible person in, in and is partly responsible for Seb's death. In fairness, I kind of feel like her stint being homeless made her a bit more sympathetic to people. Which is what it was meant to do. Yeah. Kelly goes to give the horse brass to homeless Stew as a thank you. That cough isn't getting any better. Kelly now cares and tells him to get checked out. He tells her to go so she isn't late for her first day on the job, but not like that. After one day at the barber, Maria trusts Kelly with the key to the place and asks her to open up tomorrow, but is instructed not to cut anyone's hair. 
So the first thing that Kelly does with this responsibility is to unlock the barbers and to let homeless Stew sleep there tonight, what with him having that cough and that. And then Simon, who still hasn't had his hole, he comes along, pissed at Addy, got to put her up instead of him. Right, yeah. And that's that. I'm glad that Stew isn't caught in the barbers. I thought that was where we were going. Yeah, I'm glad that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Because... Kelly's heart is in the right place and I wouldn't want Stu to get in trouble with Maria. Yeah, th- this was where I was going to get prepared for an uh, elongation of the already painfully long redemption storyline was that Maria was going to find out she was going to go through the roof she was going to sack Kelly after one day and then Kelly goes back you know, not thinking that she's worthless not trusting anybody, losing friends and all that sort of thing. So I'm glad that that didn't happen. Correct. That's about it though, isn't it? Nothing much else to say there, apart from how funny it was that Nina was phone in South America. Let's all laugh at that, because that was funny. <laughs> Hello, South America. Can I speak to Peru, please? South America. Moving on then. Not just Peru. Darkest Peru. Darkest Peru. Because <laughs> you're wearing your Paddington shirt today. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'll give you one of my hard stares. As long as you give me one of your hard somethings. (laughs) Oh, well that that went a bit X-rated very quickly. (laughs) Our next storyline this morning is meeting Mimi on Friday. Fizzy's filled with two L's is helping out Maria with council stuff, offering to introduce her to Malcolm at Roads and Transport, but not like that. We learn that Phil also has some MMA experience. And <laughs> of course he does. And he shivers out of action for a couple of days. So Fizz tells him that he can stay there while he's getting that sorted out. And everyone shits themselves a bit when they realise the implications of what she just said. Right. She just asked him to move in. Right. But only but for a few did, days. But only for a few days. Right. Just because of his shower. So why then later has Phil brought all his stuff, including massive yucca plant? Well, it, because he's not going to be there to water it for a few days. So I can understand the plant. It's all the other stuff. Also, he's invited his mum round for tea later. Oh. So then we meet Phil with two L's mum, Mimi. She arrives in a very fancy Merc. She's quite the character, full of airs and graces. She claims to have had a lot of plastic surgery, but she has not had lots of plastic surgery. She's brought her dog, Coco, who's a handbag dog. And doesn't seem very friendly. Yeah. Phil is thrilled. And Fizz looks like she wants to drop down dead. Tea at Fizzy's is as awkward as fuck. With Fizz blurting out how Ruby is her ex-partner's kid whose mum went to prison and is now dead. Right, because because she shows a picture to this woman. And this woman very rudely says, Oh, I see Ruby is your stepdaughter, I presume. I thought she was going to be... Because she's black. I thought she was going to be much more obvious in her, uh, in her racism there. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad enough. (laughs) It was already bad enough. When Mimi nips off for a shite, Fizz is embarrassed that Mimi is so posh and she's dead. She's not not posh. She's not really posh, though. She's just awful. She's hideous. Phil thinks the tea is going great. So after her shite, Mima wants to talk about Phil with Twail's birthday. She's throwing a party at the Rotary Club for him. Then Phil explains that Fizz has already made plans at the bistro. Mimi takes it in her stride and agrees to move her plans there. Fizz, Phil with two L suggests that Mimi and Fizz work together on this. Great, they both say. And she thought the bistro was like a laundromat or something? <laughs> I can't remember what she said she I'm, thought it was. I'm, I'm sorry, I have been in a number of rotary clubs in my lifetime. The bistro is much more posh than any rotary club I've ever been in. 
I haven't been in a Rotary Club in the UK. I've been in a Rotary Club here. Yes. And it isn't posh. Well, our Rotary Club here meets in a church's back room. Mm-hmm. They don't even have a club. Right. Building of their, of their own. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was nice. Yeah, and they're lovely people. It wasn't. It just wasn't. wasn't posh. No. <laughs> So your thoughts about Mimi as this archetypal... She's fake. She's so fake. She's pretending to be posh. And it seems like she's, you know, that Phil has just kind of accepted that this is the way his mother is. Tell you something, that Mercedes wasn't a mirage. Nah. That's That's a lot of car there. That's a rental for the day. I don't know. I don't know. I've Because she, she really, she doesn't, she looks like Cruella de Vil... Yes. Like 30 years on yeah. from the original animated movie. <laughs> I I just wonder if if Mimi is going to be a character that lasts, how diluted that character is going to be right, very yeah. quickly. Because let's remember what... Nobody's keeping that up for a while. Yeah. Let's remember what Bernie was like when she first showed up. On Evelyn. And how diluted she has become over time, where now she's mocking people who have children with 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 crunchy granola names. <laughs> you know, while naming her children Apollo and Gemini and, and talking about the stars and reading tea leaves and stuff. Yeah. I and it's obvious Phil is a mama's boy. Yeah, just a little bit, isn't it? Just he? a little bit. She can do no wrong. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> 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 you were looking at me as if you were expecting me to say that so I never so that was our penultimate storyline so our final storyline of the morning is Tim's mum about the house you just wanted to be able to use that one last time yeah the little rule that I've had to myself is that if a storyline mentions Tim's mum, yeah. it becomes Tim's mum about the house. Right, yeah. On Monday, Ryan is an early visitor to the Nazir household. He's obviously suspicious of Zidane, but is distracted when Alia asks him out for lunch later. But it's not mm-hmm. a date, but they're just going out for lunch and that. And it mm-hmm. makes quite nice and stuff. Nice. Zidane is loading up the food truck with a bag of cash, taking a moment to challenge a passing Debbie to a race for some reason. Then Ryan comes along and mentions how he saw Zidane with Hashim the other day. Axe concerned that the last time that happened, Zidane got his pie booted. Zidane insists it's nothing and he leaves. Alia is waiting for Ryan in the Rovers, insisting a bit too hard to Jenny that they're not dating again. Her and Ryan, not her and Jenny. No. He's late and there's no sign of him. That would be interesting. Completely mm. out of left field. Jenny and Alia are now a thing. Mm. Jalia. Or Genya. No, Jalia. I think Jalia. The Christmas market thing is taken. Ali. What? what you take just a Y from Jenny? <laughs> okay, I, think I think Jenny's bringing a bit more to the relationship than just Al-Nee. a Y. Jalia. <laughs> Jalia sounds like a disease. <laughs> Give it five minutes and it might be. <laughs> So, the Christmas market thing I'm saying, that's taking shape. 
Sally overly bothered about a chap who wants to see to sell mulled wine right next to the Rovers pop-up bar. Alia's search continues outside, but Sally, who's concerned about the mulled wine vendor at the Christmas market and a furious daisy, are no help. And later Zidane gets back to the food truck to find that the bag of money that he's put in there has disappeared. And also Sally wants to brag about her new door yeah. to Alia. Segshell blue. Who's who would remember when it was supposed to be one shade of white? Andalusia. Right. <laughs> Which also sounds like a disease. <laughs> Glad she didn't go with that. Zidane rushes home when Ryan comes in with the money bag demanding to know what's going on. Zidane claims to have called the police but his bluff is called when Ryan gets a call from Alia and Zidane begs that Ryan dinghies it. So Zidane has to explain that he's been laundering money. Ryan points out that everyone could go to prison for this. Zidane was just trying to get people out of trouble not into it and he begs Ryan to keep his mouth shut. Ryan points out that this is the dumbest plan ever. This has to be a pretty dumb plan for Ryan to for say. For Ryan a, to recognise that it's the dumbest plan ever, yes. He was already on to Zidane, so it's only a matter of time before Alia and Yasmin twig. And at that, in comes Alia, curious, curious to know whose bag that is on the coffee table. Zidane and Ryan both accept responsibility simultaneously for Zidane's gym gear, and disgusted, Alia heads back to work. Next we see Hashim stalking out Ryan and Yasmin in his flash car while Yasmin gives Ryan a hard time for missing that lunch date. So Ryan goes into speed dial to apologise to Alia and he comes clean about Zidane and his bag full of lovely cash. So Alia goes to the house to shout at Zidane about it. She wants Hashim's number to hash this out but Zidane refuses to let her get involved. Alia's back at work now and it's late when Hashim comes in looking for Zidane. Alia wants to know how long the shite is going to go on for, or should she just call the police now? Hashim points out that Zidane nicked his 50 grand. Zidane comes in, and Hashim isn't impressed that the arrangement has been broadcast now. Just for that, there'll be a bit more laundry to do. Ugh. On Wednesday, Alia and Zidane are surprised to find Yasmin working on her day off at Speeddal. Which is totally a Yasmin thing to do. Yeah. And like, they shouldn't be surprised by it. No. Then they're further surprised when Billy bounds in, thanking Yasmin for volunteering food to help out in the soup kitchen. Alia and Sudan talk Yasmin into helping Billy physically hand the, the food out, yes. just to get rid of her for the day so they can do their money laundering stuff. Right, and so Yasmin can meet Stu. Yeah. So Homeless Stu is Yasmin's first customer. He's thrilled to see one of her curries on offer, and the two of them seem to have met each other before. This is interesting. He's sounding a bit better after a night's kip in the barber's. Now, Canadian Helen got in touch with us uh, through the week to kind of preempt the storyline, saying that Homeless Stew needs a happy ending. Debbie needs a new chef since Danny went to London and Homeless Stew was a chef in the Navy. This would be a perfect arrangement for them both. Right. And I kind of agreed with that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I thought either that or, or Speeddal are kind of looking for Homeless Stews. Right, because they've lost their chef as well. Right. What was his name? Started with an H, didn't it? He pretended he had shingles. Yes, the shingles guy. Yeah, the shingles guy. <laughs> so, I thought, well, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is how Holmes Shoes getting rehabil- rehabilitated and maybe it's going to be hanging about. Yay! That's what I thought on Wednesday. Yeah. So, yeah, Holmes Shoes is very complimentary of the curry and seems to be able to identify the ingredients. He mentions that he was a chef in the Navy. God, if he's mentioned that once. Yasmin invites him to Speedal for a tasting menu later. Well, it's a soup. It's not a curry. Back at Speedal, Alia is worried that they're not laundering money quickly enough. Ryan suggests taking the food van to the Christmas market. But then Alia gets a call from Tim's mum out of the blue. She wants to sell her share in Speedal. 
Tim's mom has given her, them first refusal. Yeah, her share that she was gifted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I think the storyliners have realised that that was a mistake. Yeah. She needs to sell up to pay for Faye's expensive lawyers. Why will Faye need expensive lawyers Ray, when Ray Weinstein has? Ray Weinstein has they can't afford to buy it on paper, and any other buyer will want to see their books. So Zidane rushes off to see about that stall in the Christmas market, and he secures the pitch, but it's at Debbie's expense that she, she had a verbal agreement. And they exchange some barbs with each other, although it kind of feels like there's a little bit of electricity between Zidane and Debbie, I thought. Oh God, don't, don't even. Then Zidane gets a photo of Hashim with Yasmin at the soup kitchen, which is a threat, and that leads us on to this week's Hard Our Debate. debate. Zidane and Alia and Ryan are obviously rubbish when it comes to laundering poor Hashim's money, but who should they bring into the scheme who could turn it around? Debbie, Adam, Emma, or anyone from EastEnders? <laughs> I chose anyone from EastEnders. Which is what I've hoped that you would do. <laughs> the voting was thus. I know. Emma, who does have history of being arrested for money laundering. This is true. 4.2%. Hmm. Adam, who I think would be pretty good at it. Yeah. 10.4%. Anyone from EastEnders, 37.5%. But winning with a resounding 47.9%, it's Debbie. Mm. Your answer is right there, Zidane. She's Speak staring to you in the face. She, she's got lots of hotels. She's got lots of hotels. She's morally ambiguous enough to be interested if there was a cut for her. Yeah. And remember, there's slight money flow issues at the, the bistro and stuff. Right. That, you know, this would maybe help tide over. I think the only problem is is that the bistro is also now part partially owned by Nick and Leanne, who are not as morally ambiguous as Debbie. Right, but still eight hotels. But still, yeah, hotels. Now all of a sudden we're not talking about 50 grand going through one business's book. We're talking about 50 grand going through eight or nine Potentially ten businesses. Right. Books. Yeah. Much you can much do that easier. In a day. <laughs> right. So that's right there. Right. On Friday though, it's pig stits already for Alia. The dishwasher has broken down at speed dial, so they're going to have to close the restaurant. Hashim makes a good point later on. What you can't just like wash the dishes yourself. Well, remember they're understaffed. They're understaffed. Homeless stew right there. This means someone has to keep an eye on what Yasmin's up to all day to make sure that Hashim doesn't have his way with her or something. Homeless Stu drops into Speed Dial to see Yasmin, who announces a wee surprise. Why don't we give Homeless Stu a trial run? Zidane is rude and dismissive. Stu takes offence and leaves, embarrassing Yasmin with his arrogance, with Zidane's arrogance. Mm-hmm. Yasmin tracks Homeless Stu down to Nina's roles. He's unhappy about Zidane, but also about Yasmin for pulling that stunt without telling him. She's still keen to take him on and prove Zidane wrong. And a stupid shit. She leaves him with keys to speed dial and some whites. Go make a fucking curry, she says. Every time someone is given keys on the street, it ends badly. Right. Poor Natasha. Later, Zidane is loading up his van, but is surprised to see there is no van. Arya goes to call the police, but Zidane tells her that she can't because Hashim's money's in it, as are Kate and Rana in their bras. Every time Zidane opens up a van, I expect to see Kate and Rana snogging in their bras in the back. Because it happened one time. (laughs) For some reason, it stuck with me. That would be pretty gruesome if it happened now. 
Back at the one restaurant. of them is dead. Back at the restaurant, Hashim comes down and Zidane accuses him of stealing the van with his money in it. The new fuck pal says Hashim because I didn't steal anything. And now he wants all his money back today or Alia and Yasmin will be floating with the fishies, see? Zidane has no choice but to offer Hashim the restaurant. Floating with the fishies? Swimming with the fishies. Thank you. Or floating with the dead fishies. <laughs> Hashim doesn't want Speed Dal though and he tells him to burn it down and pay him off with the insurance. He's so demanding. Right. He's so unrealistic in his demands, but he's so demanding. And he he expects respect right away. At home, oh, he's such a bad character. At home, there's been no sign of the van. Zidane tells Alia about the conversation with Hashim, and Alia is shocked. And Zidane says he's not even considering burning the place down. Don't no. worry, he's going to think about something else. Then, despite meeting at Speedal earlier, Zidane and Hashim meet in an alleyway for plot reasons, while Zidane, with Zidane insisting that he will find the money. Too late, says Hashim. I've already made arrangements to torch the restaurant or Yasmin's house. Take your pick. Right. Yikes. Meanwhile, at Speedal, Homeless Stew is done making food and then nips off to the toilets to get changed back into his homeless gear. And while he's gone, Zidane comes down, turns everything off and leaves the door open and unlocked for Hashim's sons to do their worst. And later, the smoke alarm goes off as Homeless Stew comes out of the bathroom and he quickly attempts to deal with the fire, but he's soon overpowered by the smoke and falls he to the floor. He attempts to deal with the fire by wetting down... A dishcloth. A dishcloth when a restaurant is required to have a fire extinguisher and surely he knows how to use a fire extinguisher? You think this is his problem to solve? He could make it to the stairs quite easily and then get out of there, which is probably what he should have done. Right, or used a fire extinguisher <laughs> instead of taking the time, because this is probably an electrical fire or a grease fire. Water's not going to work on one of those. It will make it worse. Yeah. This is chef's training 101 and naval training 101, if I'm honest. Outside at the Christmas market, Cathy, Brian and Billy notice the smoke coming in from coming out from Speedal. Brian is on crowd control while Cathy phones the fire brigade and Billy runs off to find Jasmine. At home, a furious Jasmine is about to head off to look for the van when a frantic Billy arrives to tell her about the fire. It's really bad, he says. Jasmine remembers that Homeless Stew was cooking and may be inside, which you can just see the sickness appear on Alia's face. How could you be so stupid, she says to Zidane. After Yasmin has left. Yeah. They rushed... Yeah. <laughs> Importantly, after Yasmin yes. has left. They rushed to the restaurant, Brian breaking down the door. <laughs> Brian breaking down the door. <laughs> but being pushed back by the smoke. Homeless stew, shouts Yasmin and Billy, and probably Ryan. And Zidane rushes in to rescue. As the fire brigade arrives, Zidane bursts out at speed to have a homeless stew, who has a bit of soot in his cheeks. Hero of the hour, says Ryan, who worries that the dishwasher was to blame. Bernie blames homeless stew. Yasmin <laughs> and Billy go off to the hospital. And everybody yells at Bernie for victim blaming. Yeah. Rightly. Alia will never forgive Zidane for this. And at home, Alia goes over what's at stake here. Homeless stew might die and they've lost the business. Zidane still hasn't washed his face and says everything will be fine if they stick to the same story. Otherwise, the insurance doesn't pay out and they're still on the hook for Hashim's money. Fine, says Alia. But I want you the fuck out of this house. Yes. So Alia and Zidane join Yasmin at the hospital. Seems the fire was started by the deep fat fryer, and Zidane quickly jumps to blame Homeless Stew. Alia throws a look at him that if it could kill, 
it would have killed Zidane. Yes. Yasmin chooses this moment to reveal how much having Zidane back in her life has meant the world to her. And also makes no sense because you can't make a curry in a deep fat fryer. <laughs> Pakora, maybe. Yeah, but that's not what Yasmin told Stu to make. Told him to make a menu. Oh, that's true. Guess this means that Zidane is hanging around, but Alia's done with him, and if homeless Stu dies, she's grassing him the fuck up. Yes. And that is how we end this week's episodes. <laughs> I went from being so happy for Homeless Stew because yeah. I like Homeless Stew yeah we want Homeless Stew to stay around going from looking like he's maybe going to be getting a job because this is a Yasmin thing to do especially. right absolutely it's maybe not a Debbie thing to do but it's a Yasmin thing to do yes. to, people deserve chances yes. and Yasmin is definitely one of those sort of people who, who do that people so, want Yasmin and Stu to hook up now and people seem to forget that Stu actually is, probably, is not divorced no, from his wife right so this was going to give him a second chance right. and, and something that he desperately needed. And keep him on the street. You know, these chances fall into the laps of the likes of Sean and, and Kelly and mm-hmm. it doesn't for him. So it was nice that for an older homeless right. person who wasn't really a character until a couple of months ago, it was nice for something positive to happen right. to him. And then as soon as they mentioned setting fire at the place, I'm like, well, I guess Thomas Hughes getting killed in a fire then. Right. Even 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 uh, Nina's roles could have hired him because Nina likes Stu already mm-hmm. and she needs, you know, a man about the house to do the, the cooking of the jacket potatoes. Right. Those baked beans aren't going to warm themselves. No. Right? <laughs> the thing I kind of dislike about this... And, it's been a week of really things that I've disliked. The one thing? You have one thing that you dislike about this. Well, Only it, one. It all comes from Hashim's unmitigated reluctance to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. He's Well, he's a bad guy. Bad guys are unreasonable. He definitely wants uh, Zidane to fail. But I thought he wanted them to fail to get the business and to get speed doll, but... Yeah. But he's, he isn't. He just wants him to fail because he screwed over his daughter. Right. So I, there's no way that, that Zidane's going to I win think. this. And I don't know why... Well, it's you know it's, it's always about characters making bad decisions right. and not telling people things. But this could have been resolved much earlier. And also, the show writes these, you know, organised crime bad guys very poorly. <laughs> This is not the first time they've written a bad guy to be impatient and irresponsible and unreasonable. Because we've also had Harvey and Rick the Chin, who are also disorganized and irrational. Irrational, that's a word now. Irrational and unreasonable. See irrational for definition. You know, this is par for the course for organized crime on the street. Even, um, even, even Gay Mick was irrational and unreasonable. Oh, we're, we're sticking with unreasonable. <laughs> I said irrational that time. I don't think you did. We'll keep it. In. Yes, we'll but keep you in. mistake Amy for Faye, so. Yeah, but I made it and all that out. <laughs> well, you can't now, can ya? Well, can it, no. It'll require more editing, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, so, and they write them that way so that there's this tension 
on the street for the characters on the street to do irrational and unreasonable things in order to appease these organized crime guys like Gary killing Rick the Chin mm. and Leanne selling drugs. Yeah. You know, it's just... <laughs> it's just when it happens more than once in a week, <laughs> when you've got Ed forgetting that Glory is currently living with them. Right. She's and- right upstairs. <laughs> Call the police. You know, the, the the whole bad decision bingo is is kind of full house at the moment. Yeah, I think. Well, that's, that was a nice turn of phrase. But uh, the one thing that I was enjoying in this, in this story, or the potential of this story, amounted to precisely hee-haw, which was Ryan and Alia having a date. Right. And they never got it. Right. Ryan and Elliot getting back together, and then homeless Stu working for Speed Doll, and this and, is what I really getting li- a redemption story. These were the two things we liked, and the whole Zidane and Hashim stuff is just mucking it up for everybody. And then just Yasmin once again having one of these one of these monologues to her her grandchildren about how much she loves them and how, of nothing, right? how, how glad she is that Zidane is back so that he can save homeless people from burning to death mm-hmm. in fires he's responsible for <laughs> right. I just I kind of hate it because of course Yasmin doesn't know about all of this stuff going on in the background but it makes right. her seem really naive yeah, and, and I thought we'd gotten away from naive Yasmin and independent, right? Yeah, because she, 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 she name checks Tim's dad, right? And saying, you know, after all that, I feel like I'm finally getting over it now that everyone's round about me. Yeah, but that's that's that, not how you get over things. Yeah, and it's kind of shifting one dependency to another, and right? And really, the the true Yasmin is the one who gets on with her life, her own life. Mm-hmm. And then it's in control of those elements of it. So whether Alia's living with her or Zidane's living with her or Kathy's living with her mm-hmm. or, or anything, it's really, it always feels better when she enhances her own life right. on her own terms. And that doesn't seem to be how she was going. But going back to the Alia and Ryan thing just for a second, one of the things that I, I liked about the, the fleeting aspect of that that we got was really the longing that, Alia and Ryan clearly have for each other. Right. Really, really nice. It is nice. It is really it's nice. nice. Alia's so disappointed when he doesn't show up. Yeah. And, and frantic. Yeah. But even before that, just the thought of it, you, there's something in their eyes that, yeah. I don't know, it's really hard to describe, but it's so obvious. Yeah. And that's the chemistry, right? Right. Absolutely. That That's the, these two work together. Right. I, I love it. Yes. And it, Needs to harm again. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, did we think Homeless Shoes on his last, has he coughed his last? I hope mm. not. I hope that this this helps, that this is the thing that helps solve his actual cough. Now that he's in the hospital, Get maybe they'll find out what's wrong with, you know, Give his lungs anyway. Right. People are speculating he has COVID. It would be nice if a character actually caught COVID at least once on the street. Considering yeah. how nobody's wearing masks anymore. I don't know, all that fresh air that homeless shoe gets means I think they'd kind of be less likely to get it, but. Who knows? Who knows? Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes. Like I said, B sides are go go. Mm. They can't all be good weeks. No. What was your moment of the week? Um, 
Ugh. Kelly giving giving homeless Stu the present and, and, and thanking him, you know, and actually showing concern for him. I like that they're continuing this relationship. Yeah, that kind of the sort of mentor right. role that he had in her homeless situation was mm-hmm. was obviously very helpful. He makes a better father than Imran, let's be honest. Yeah, because he does come out with words of wisdom that nobody's asking for. Right. Like a good father does. And and, and then he's uh, he does actually teach her life skills that are important for her to have. Right. Even if she's not homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Good teeth as well. Yeah. So homeless Stu and George are both our father figures now on the street now that Roy's gone. Right. Yeah. Kelly's horse bras for homeless Stu, which doesn't sound as... It sounded like you said horse bras, not horse brass. I'm not saying that again. (laughs) I don't get paid enough to do this. That's our moment of the week. Our boring moment of the week. Sean reciting different looks from the Oscars. Do you know, I'd completely forgotten about that. I don't think I wrote I any- hadn't. <laughs> I don't think I wrote anything of it down. If so, I don't remember reading it out. You didn't. So what was it? He said what? He's just, he, he's, he's, because he's working on Emma's dress and yeah. he's like, I'm thinking blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah. He's just like name checking different actresses and different fashion designers and and um and beth says all right okay we get it you know a lot about the oscars <laughs> well done beth are you sure that's not a moment of it <laughs> sean knowing oscar stuff that's our specifically fashion from the oscars yeah, he's, he's it, like, it's not his mastermind subject of who, <laughs> no, won, who won best pictures in 1973 he's not a cinephile no <laughs> no he's being stereotypically homosexual yes shall we wrap this one up then yes please if you've ever packed your man bag in your boxers put some trousers <laughs> on for god's sake and then tell us all about it we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey podcast on twitter facebook and instagram you can shout me and hell on a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and youtube channel and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on the itunes or your podcast provider of choice Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more The Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.